Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, CBS Sports Lead NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team Writer. Joined today by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman. And we're also joined once again by Lori Lindsay, uh, currently an NWSL analyst for CBS Sports. She made 31 appearances as a midfield for the United States Women's National Team from 2005 to 2013. And she helped the team to a 2012 London Olympics gold and earned a silver medal in the 2011 FIFA Women's World Cup. And she's back to help us recap this bronze medal match. Lisa, Lori, how are we doing today? <laughs> I think we're doing okay. I mean, we got a medal. So I'm I'm happy with that. But there's so much to break down in, in this game and so much to talk about. And thank goodness we have Lori here with us to, <laughs> to give us all the dirty details from being a player at this level. How are you feeling, Lori? Yeah, well, I, I'm feeling great. I'm um, extremely happy for the team. And then also, like, let's continue this on because we were talking behind the scenes. Listen, the gold medal match just got postponed even longer. So, yeah, <laughs> so we're, we're here for everybody. It's the it's another yeah. Olympic sized episode for everyone. Uh, just a reminder, we're going to be recapping this bronze medal victory for the United States. We're going to get into the match. What does it all mean? Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you have enjoyed our context uh, during the Olympics over the course of these last few weeks. Just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you can listen to your shows. And uh, let's 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 get into it. Let's we we did I think a pretty good job. I think in the last episode we we set the table right. Mm -hmm. We were talking about all sorts of things leading into this bronze medal match. We talked about how the United States got to this point. We touched a bit on Australia and how they got to this point. We took a deeper dive once again into that sort of zero-zero draw that they had to close out that final group play. And we had a lot of questions of how this match was going to look or possibly feel for both of these teams on each side of the ball. And uh, in true bronze medal fashion, I think we got a little bit of a, hey, screw it. It's the final match and let's uh, <laughs> let's bring it all in. Uh, we also talked a lot about maybe some of the missing parts that were going to come into play for both of these sides for United States and so missing somebody like Alyssa Nair for Australia, missing somebody like Ellie Carpenter. And we were curious 
how this final starting 11 was going to look uh, for the United States. So let me give us the rundown of who got tagged with the start. And then you both can hit me with your, uh, your thoughts, feelings, and opinions on those uh, for the United States. They round out as follows. They had Adriana France starting as goalkeeper. They had Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sauron, Tierna Davidson, and Crystal Dunn to run out the back line in the midfield. They rolled with Julie Ertz, Sam Mewis, Lindsay Horan. And to close out the front line, they had Kristen press Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino. Lori, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Okay. For this starting 11, can you walk me through maybe what you were thinking the team needed to look like going into this match? And then what were your reactions when you saw this starting 11, particularly that attacking line? Yeah. Well, we even talked about this the last episode, too. And this is not, I don't think, the front line that we expected, for sure. I don't think we thought Carly or or Megan Rapino would get the the nod. Um, but seeing Kirsten Press in there was... Um, I think what was expected as well. Um, but, you know, and, and a big shout out to Tina Davidson coming in um, in the matches that she played um, and then getting the start in this bronze medal um, is massive, I think, for her development and going forward because she's going to be an integral part um, of that back line, at least I suspect, um, in in the future. Um, but, you know, I think I think we needed exactly what we saw to start this game. Some excitement, some um, fresh legs, some um, two players in particular with Carly Lloyd and Meg Rampino. Even though I was thrilled to see them in the starting lineup, I didn't think I would expect that just the way the rotation had gone and, um, you know, how I thought Blacko was going to line this team up. But those are two players that have been clutch throughout their entire um, careers to score in big goals. And they, um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they delivered quite frankly. And, um, and then the midfield, listen, still not, I don't think what we expected. Those are three with Ertz, um, Sam Uis and Lindsay Horan, three that we had seen in there um, quite often. But in terms of like what I wanted to see more, which is a bit more of keeping the rhythm and um, dictating the tempo, we still didn't see it, but um enough pressing enough of the job getting done to, to solidify the bronze really to sum it up. Lisa, in terms of like this starting 11, I want you to hit me with like maybe some defensive thoughts, right. With your experience sort of locking things down in the back. What, what were you looking for from the back line in the, in this match? And like, were you satisfied in sort of seeing this, this back four in front of French when you saw the 11 drop? Yes. I mean, we've talked about it, Sandra and I, throughout this Olympics of the back line for Vlaco in the United States. And he's made changes and he's rotated players in. But each time I come back to Tierna Davidson, she needs to be back there. Her partnership with Becky Sauerbronn is is really good. They have a good relationship that really balances each other out. And, and Dunn and O'Hara on the flanks, um, out wide in the back, they've been consistent throughout this tournament. Um, O'Hara has she's let me down at some points. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I think that Australia did put a lot of pressure on her throughout this game um, in this bronze medal match. But overall, I think it was a, a good matchup. And I know that Tierna Davidson has had a lot of fingers pointed at her based on how that Canada game went down and the penalty kick that was called um, on her. But she's the youngest player on this team on the field for the United States at 22, which isn't even all that young. And as Lori said, she is the potential future of this back line. And I believe she will be the future of this back line. So to get her all of this experience in this Olympic tournament, alongside a player like Becky Sauerbronn, who has 
a tremendous career at the international level and has so much leadership and can truly pass that along to her partner in that center back position is huge. And then of course, Julia is sitting in front. Um, what she didn't play 30 minutes of this entire Olympics or 45 minutes of this entire Olympics. And it, she proved why we need the United States needs her on the field throughout this run and throughout this stretch, she locks it down defensively and she just finds those pockets to pick it off. But Lori, you're right. The cohesion in the midfield really wasn't there. We, we, we were waiting for it to come throughout this entire Olympics. And even today we saw small, small lights of, of connection and cohesion and rhythm to connect in that midfield, but it wasn't a full game of it. Um, but Overall, better effort. They got a win. They got a big win, four goals in the back of the net. So, hey, that's good enough, right? It's good enough for the bronze. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to express some joy here on this episode. I'm not going to act like we're not. We're going to express joy um, in the fact that this, this was a bronze medal victory for the team. But I think, you know, in the spirit of how we've been covering these Olympics, there's going to be room for us to talk about that, that kind of stuff. And in, and in this first half, uh, things got off to a very, very quick start uh, <laughs> for this team. Uh, we're talking about a breakthrough opening goal in the opening eight minutes and uh it comes by way of megan rapino in like one of the most elite fashion like type of goal that you can get she's she runs over to the corner on a set piece and and provides what's supposed to be service and ends up getting an olympico in the <laughs> olympics and of this course. ball yeah this ball just bends into uh into net and they're off and running they're mm -hmm. off and running and uh even prior the lead up to that goal, quite frankly, it just, the team just looked a little bit different or maybe a little bit more familiar, depending on how you're, what type of eye you're watching this, uh, this team with, because I think, again, we've been talking about it all Olympics. Um, that sort of very familiar high press, uh, intense attacking style type of team that, sort of element has kind of gone missing a little bit throughout this Olympic games. Uh, when you guys watch that glory, when you're, when you're looking at a goal like that, mm -hmm. that early in the game, what does that do for your team in, in a, in a metal game? <laughs> well, I think in general, it is like, you're like, hell yes, it alleviates yeah. some pressure, right? You get momentum, especially because I think, you know, we haven't talked a lot about, or I, I you two um, potentially have, but I think the U.S. thrives on goals. They thrive on what you just said, Sandra, like high pressing energy, right? You get that from fans. And I saw during the game, actually, like a picture after Megan went to line up for that corner kick. And I'm like, is this like a, a manufactured photo? I'm like, what is happening here? Because honestly, there's no one else you can see in the photo. It's Megan about to line up. And the way that the angle is, all you see is the assistant referee, and then everything else is completely empty, right? And I think that that alone has to be expressed too on how difficult this is for these teams and playing in front of these empty stadiums as well especially a, a U.S. team. But when you're not doing that, yes, after not scoring many goals, which the U.S. is so accustomed to doing, um, to get off on the front front against um, Australia, knowing that they have the ability to score goals. We saw that in this game. Awesome. And to score it like um, 
Megan did Olympico, as you mentioned, um, is massive, right? It's massive in terms of alleviating pressure and also just like um, igniting that joy that we've all been talking about that seems, or the cohesion that seems to have been missing. So, yeah. And alleviating that pressure also coming from the Matildas. We mentioned the start of this game and it was fast paced. It was high intensity. There was pressing all over the field and the Matildas, they, they were putting a lot of pressure on the United States. It was pretty even, I want to say for the first five minutes of just teams figuring out where their opponents were, the matchups on the field going against their uh, opponents that they were battled up with one B one. And to get this goal within the first 10 minutes on a set piece opportunity does change the game because it was a set piece opportunity. And those were corner kicks and set pieces that the United States haven't been drawing in their attacking third throughout this Olympic games. They were getting into their attacking end, but not getting the ball over, over the end line to draw those corner kicks and get those opportunities. And when you're creating so many chances in a high intensity moment like that, it, every player on the field, as soon as that ball went in, they were like, (laughs) <laughs> yes, but they looked, they were like, wait, this, it just happened so quickly because the game was moving at such a fast pace and then bam, back of the net. Um, their facial expressions were amazing. It was like, what? Yes. It was hilarious mm-hmm. to watch them change on the camera. Yeah, no, it was, it, we talked about that a little bit. I mean, Lori specifically, you were like, we need to see the joy. We need to see the passion. And I think to have that type of goal kind of kick things off and set things in motion, it really does sort of, uh, again, set the table for things for sure. Uh, but it was, this first, this first half in particular was incredibly, incredibly quick, fast paced, back and forth type of tempo. I mean, we're talking about Australia getting an equalizer just, you know, maybe like 10 minutes later, I believe this goal happened in the eighth minute and then Australia's equalizer happened in the 16th. So it was like end to end Mm -hmm. really. And, and we were talking about our all last episode as well. Sam Kerr comes up with this equalizer and let's, let's, let's talk about how this comes to light. This is not to take away against uh, Sam Kerr and her ability on the ball. We know how lethal she is. We we've seen her scoring goals, quite frankly, all over the world in different leagues um, and doing it for Australia on, on the big stage in a big moment like this. Uh, Lisa, defensively, let's talk a little bit about how this equalizer came to life. A uh, bit of a poor decision from from Davidson. Uh, you got to call that out and, and see it like you see it. Uh, but honestly, also maybe a question of, of how savable a, a shot like this is for, for a goalkeeper. Once it does get past, you know, your defenders, your goalkeeper is essentially the last line of defense, right? So you're looking at those, those sort of things. And those are questions that we, we raise up, but what did you kind of see on this and this breakdown or, or miscommunication and on this equalizer? Yeah, this equalizer did come from a mistake and actually the next goal did as well. There was a few mistakes happening defensively all over the pitch, but this one was just, bad passing and bad angles between the center back duo of Tierna Davidson and Becky Sauerbronn. Um, It was the mistake from Davidson trying to pass it over to Sauerbronn and not realizing that she had high pressure from Australia waiting right there to jump on this. And then as soon as Australia does pick up the ball and they start to move quickly, they didn't have too, too much yards to cover too many yards to go before they were right in front of the goal mouth. And I I believe AD French gets a hand on this Um, as it goes towards the net. She does try to save it, but it's, it's a mistake on both ends, the defensive end and even the goalkeeping end. Um, I I think 
Franch was a little caught off guard at how it came to her because her team did have the ball that Tierna and uh, Becky Sauerbaum were looking to pass and play out of the back, not expecting this quick transition. But, hey, that's what Australia does when they pick up the ball. And none other than Sam Kerr, who's able to get this finish, um, which is exactly what she does. It was really a brilliant finish from Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr on a really nice through ball from her. Um but the fact that French did get a touch on it makes me think that she could have gotten more. Um, I think she was off balance on the save as it came in. But the mistake, that can't happen, especially with 10 minutes after the United States goes up. That's when this United States team needs to be so tuned in and so turned on to the game at hand and what's happening and looking to keep building on that momentum, um, not allow a- another team to switch and, and change the gears of the game at that point um but yeah. again like congrats to Sam Carr because it, it was a really well finished shot and they stayed in this game throughout the entire 90 minutes Australia never backed down yeah I mean they at Lori United States though <laughs> this first half ridiculous they they came right back yeah four minutes later yeah and Megan Rupino having a game yeah, up until this point, immediately gets the team the go-ahead goal in the twentieth minute. You're talking mm-hmm. just just four minutes after Australia gets this equalizer mm-hmm. from Sam Kerr, and this this you, you don't you don't imagine that uh, you can connect on goal somehow better than an Olympico, mm-hmm. but here comes Megan Rapino with a clinical finish. And just slots this ball away in the 20th minute to give the United States a lead once again. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what What's your breakdown of that goal? For, uh, she lives for these moments, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, I've known Meg for a long time. We've been close, close friends for um the same amount of time that we've known each other. And like, listen, the joke used to be that Megan was like checked out during training. This is early in her career, right? She's um, developed as a professional quite a bit. Um, But um, yeah, she's a gamer, right? This is what she lives for. She lives for the limelight. She lives for these moments and she's going to find ways to carry this team when, when needed. And that was this game. And she came up huge and and the same with Carly Lloyd. I think the, the, the biggest eye opener for me is when Carly Lloyd scored her first goal too, is that was her first goal of this tournament. How outrageous that is um, for somebody who just set the record, I think for uh, most goals um, in a tournament and for the U S. So it's, it is, I think that just puts a little bit in perspective on like the wild ride this tournament has been, but um, you know, just side note, going back to what Lisa was saying, that is a savable goal. AD French would know that the number one rule as a goalkeeper, you don't get beat near post. She got beat near post, right? Regardless of how quickly it comes. And Tierna Davidson, clean up what you're doing back there because she's world-class and there's a few mistakes that are being made. But with those two players in particular, not a ton of minutes in this type of environment. It really needed. And I, I say that because they are going to be barring any sort of like anything that I don't know with AD French or injuries or whatever, they have a real potential to start to make, um, ha- have a lot of minutes with this team. Right. And they're going to lead the, this U S national team going forward. So really important minutes and experience. And at the same time, um, I say that because the other two at the other end with Carly and Megan, you have that buffer to know, Hey, listen, yeah, we made these mistakes. Here we go though. We're going to come up huge get the equalizer immediately after they, um, or get the go-ahead goal immediately after Sam Kerr and Australia have 
um, scored the equalizer, and then Carly Lloyd as well put in two away. So you have that buffer, right? And that's what it's all about is having each other's backs and um, being able to know that if you do make mistakes, hell yeah, we got you on the other end. <laughs> yeah, and, and the two mistakes from Davidson and French were mental completely. Like you said, world-class players that didn't have enough experience. So those mental lapses, that's I mean, yeah, but if you can lean on players like Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd, and I know we talked about this in our mm-hmm. starting lineups, um, that it was not exactly what we were expecting to see or hoping to see, but you have to give it to them. These are players that know how to show up in big moments, and that's exactly what they did today. I thought of that after uh, Rapino scored that second goal. I was like, everyone has been doubting her and saying, why is she getting the start? And she's older veteran player why is she on this team she doesn't look as good as she has in years past which I'm not denying that she obviously has aged a little no, bit but no one has been at their best turn, okay so. but she gets two goals like players <laughs> players you know hey turning it on turning it off yeah a good balance there I guess no in, terms of this, <laughs> in terms of this first half for sure and, and congrats to Carly Lloyd she and she you know she did get that that goal to close out the first half, a a big goal in a number of ways. I mean, again, we were talking about how this game was so back and forth, very, very open in this first half. And then it's a much different feeling if you're Australia, right. Heading into halftime Mm -hmm. in a very open match down two to one versus being down three to one, Mm -hmm. uh, going in, going into halftime. So Carly Lloyd coming through huge, uh, with that, with that, sort of first half ending goal, uh, making a bit of history. Uh, she, she beat the, she beat Abby Wong back out for, for the top, uh, United States women's national team goal scorer in the Olympics with, with her 10th goal. So it's, it's a, it's a hell of a statement to sort of close out, uh, your, your first half there. And you gotta be feeling good, right? I think going into, uh, the halftime break, uh, in a bronze medal match up three, one with, you know, 45 to go and playing, you know, as, as well as you are, even with maybe the, the very early kind of uh, mental lapse uh, on the defensive side of things, it's an opportunity to maybe, you know, hit the brakes and acknowledge that for mm-hmm. a second. Um, and we're going to hit the brakes and acknowledge <laughs> our <laughs> hydration break for a second. Uh, we've been doing it all Olympics, caffeine checks, checking in with each other. Let's hydrate. Cheers. And we'll talk about this second half. Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
All right, let's get into the second half. Believe it or not, there were more goals to be had <laughs> in this match. If you're uh, just joining us, just waking up, uh, let's let's walk you through it. Let's get into all of these uh, remaining goals. Uh, no immediate substitutions, right, in this second half. Uh, not something that's been uncommon for this team. Uh, we have seen head coach Flacco Andonofsky make a number of rotations, make a number of substitutions throughout the entire Olympics. Uh, but nothing I think in this, in this matchup to this point, maybe signaled like, Hey, we should absolutely be making immediate uh, halftime substitutions. Um, and of course it, it paid off <laughs> once again, because we've got five minutes uh, into this second half. You're talking about Carly Lloyd, uh, also saying, hey, you know, it's not just Megan Rapino who's going to be walking away uh, with a brace on this day. I'm going to I'm going to get involved here, too. And she extends the lead some more for the United States and makes it 4-1 for Team USA uh, in the 50th minute. Uh, Lori, again, we're talking about what these type of goals do for a team and their mentality in big games like this. Uh, what is what is a moment like that starting off the second half already with the lead, extending it even more uh, do for the team? Does it help you settle in a little bo- bit more or does it still like kind of get you amped up and make you want to go yeah. after things? Yeah, I think both. I think one, it does amp you up. I think we saw the um, jubilation on um, Carly's Carly's face and what that meant to her personally, right? And then also, because I mean, she's about scoring goals. She knows if she's scoring goals, regardless of what the rest of the 90 minutes or however long she's playing, she is doing her job up there and, and putting teams under pressure. And also, I think... <laughs> Um, yes, it does give you a little breathing room because as, as I'm sure we'll get into in a second, there will be more goals from, um, from Australia. So, and I also think in this tournament and, and potentially going forward, um, regardless of how good we are defensively, listen, like this is an Australian team who, you know, years past, I think for a lot of teams, it would be like, all right, four to one deficit against the U S is like, there's no way we can come back. Right. But as we saw in this game, it was a lot tighter as this game went on than um, I think anybody wanted. But um, the reality is teams are getting better and they're becoming and they're finding ways and we're finding we're seeing even more prolific goal scorers come about. And so, um, yes, it does give you some breathing room, but also it is like, hell yeah, because it gives us a buffer in case what we see happens and um, close calls or, or actually goals being scored. Um it's difficult when you have that many goals ahead um, for teams to actually come back, even though yeah. it was close. Lisa, Australia gets <laughs> another goal just three minutes later. You're talking about the United States, again, coming off on the front foot, getting a goal in the opening five minutes of the second half. And like Lori said, it's doing a couple different things for, for the team. But Australia comes back just three minutes later. And I mean, an, a good, a good goal, like another goal where it exposes some things defensively. You got Caitlin Ford connecting on a header and it's making things a little interesting for the second half as she cuts into the lead for Australia and makes it four to what's going on on this goal defensively. Well, a, a lot of times when teams go up, uh, like Lori just mentioned, you go up, you're down three as an Australian side against this United States team. You can get deflated, but honestly, it fired up the Matildas. They were whipping crosses in. They were getting, 
chances in the box. They were putting the United States defense under a lot of pressure that they were handling okay. Um, but as soon as this cross came in and you saw Caitlin Ford, she actually had to reach back for this one. The ball came in behind her, which makes this header and this goal even that much more remarkable to see um, it immediately Australia just attacking, attacking the United States and not giving up and not letting down. This goal was really big for Australia because now they just essentially, they put it, put them ahead one more. So now it's only two down behind the United States. And after this second goal happened, I believe it was like the 54th minute, Sandra, maybe 55th You're mm-hmm. You're a good stat, stat woman over there with the minutes. Um, but <laughs> after this happened, Australia almost had another one. They had Sam Kerr with a really good, really good opportunity off the post. I don't even know how that that didn't go in. That was one of my favorite opportunities of this tournament, actually. That that ball from Rosso was um, on a dime. Whipped in, right? Whipped in. I was like, that's amazing. I I don't understand how that didn't go in. And AD French is thanking that post right there because it could have. It was literally millimeters away from going in because it bounced off the one post and went across the mouth of the goal all the way to the other post before being cleared out by the United States. And the look on Sam Kerr's face after that was like, how, how did that not go in? Yeah. And I think think she knew that too, that that was the difference maker, right? Because like Mm -hmm. if that goes in, then that changes the course of the game in terms of swinging momentum consistently. Um, I'll show you being able to put more pressure. Um, and, and just again, like what we've been talking about is like the belief, right, against these teams. Like that will be, that is the biggest challenge for the U.S. now is like teams aren't fearing them in terms of mentality and like fitness and yeah. they, these teams can attack too. So there's some, there's some differences here in terms of belief um, with a lot of these teams now. It's, I'm almost curious too if, if that goal for Kerr, if that opportunity for a goal does, uh, for Kerr does translate into a goal like just two minutes after that Ford goal, like you're talking about two quick goals back to back right after the United States uh, extend their lead to four. And you're talking about a four, three game potentially at that moment and what that looks like and what that means and, and what that maybe presents to the coaching staff really for, Mm -hmm. for the United States, because even though it didn't go in and this match was still four, two at this point, um, we did start to see some adjustments being made for both for both sides of the ball uh, right around the hour mark. So while the Matildas were making their substitutions, uh, you had uh, Roosevelt come into the game, Tobin Heath come into the game uh, right at the hour mark. So I'm a little cur- like a little curious about you know how much of it was planned versus how much of it was. Uh, momentum and and the and the mm-hmm. tempo of the game uh, at this mm-hmm. point because they're they're coming on for for. Sam Mewis and they're coming on for, for Megan Rapino again, who at this point is having herself a game yeah. uh, in this match. Uh, so I was I'm a little curious, you know, about, mm-hmm. about that uh, type of stuff, but this, even though that opportunity doesn't cross the line uh, for the Matildas, it still remained a pretty, pretty active game. I think mm-hmm. at points of this second half, it sort of felt like either one of these teams could get another goal. And obviously if it would have been the United States, it would have been a little bit of cementing some things. But if you're Australia, if you do get that, that third goal, it, it can change up everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Um, looking ahead deeper into maybe the final 15 uh, of this, of this match, you've got 
a 4-2 uh, lead at the moment. Things are feeling pretty good. I think if you have a two-goal lead in the final 15 minutes, right, even if it is a pretty open and wild game, uh, maybe you're going to shift things around and try to lock things down uh, defensively and try to organize things. And we started to see some tactical changes uh, mm-hmm. there towards the end, right? We started to see the the, the five back uh, from the United States and to in an effort to, to sort of close things out. Uh, but in true bronze medal Olympic fashion, that doesn't happen. We were talking in the 89th minute, Australia gets a goal and all of a sudden it's 4-3 in this match. And you're saying, oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah. Close out a game, United States. <laughs> Actually, I think I I messaged you all about like what time we we're coming on to this, and then I was like, actually, I shouldn't have hit send because like we're like five minutes away, and like who the hell knows what's going to happen? So yeah. like, who even knows if this is going into overtime or what? So delete delete that message. <laughs> that's that's what did it. We're gonna put it on. <laughs> yeah. Lori provided the uh, the catalyst for chaos. It was it was delicious. Eighty uh, ninth minute, uh, the re- the officials signal that there's going to be four minutes of, of stoppage time. That's a lot of time in a game like this. Um, and then on top of that, unfortunately, uh, we saw Alex Morgan uh, come off of the pitch with an injury. And this, on top of the four minutes of stoppage time, it the official takes note of additional injury time so it's a it's a very frantic sort of close like closing final minutes uh, of this game but the united states hang on and are able to walk away on this day as a bronze medal victors and i think uh, for now for this first part of this next segment of what does this all mean right as we're sort of taking a look at the olympics as a whole for now um, in terms of the uh, silver linings, let's say, in terms of the the positive aspects, uh, Lori, walking out of this tournament with a bronze medal for this team, considering how they started, what what does that mean for this team? Oh, it's massive. I mean, I think, listen, like, anytime you can medal in the Olympics, these tournaments aren't easy. I mean, it seems like they're smooth sailing a lot of times, I think, because we've been so dominant. The U.S. has been so dominant in every single tournament, really, right? I mean, the amount of medals this team has won is will never be, never be matched. And it's, it's quite um, remarkable. Um, however, as we're seeing, competition is is growing. It's um, the parity is tightening, and so it's just, which is amazing for the sport. Um, mm-hmm. But for this team, for the way that, as fans, as people who love this sport, as people who have been close to the team, whether we played on the team or not, it is to get a bronze medal is massive, especially with the way that this tournament has gone. I mean, as we're all saying, thank goodness this tournament is over. Yes, we have a gold medal match, but goodness gracious, get us out of here because it has been a wild ride. And quite frankly, we're all tired. And so are the players. But (laughs) listen, 
we know hasn't been the best soccer for the U.S. So to to come out, turn around um, after playing a semifinal, you don't want to go home without anything less than a gold, but then have to play for a bronze medal. That is not easy. That might sound ridiculous, but it is not. It is tough to turn the switch, to have to like get yourself pumped back up um, after a team that you've already played against. So massive credit to this team to come out. Um, and I have some additional thoughts, but I'll leave that for the next part of this this. Um, this lisa talk was this game everything you had hoped for and uh do you believe what a lofty question i mean i mean but do you believe that uh you know even though this wasn't the uh gold medal game that they had had their sights on uh is this something that the team can sort of look back and hang their head on because i mean let's let's be frank i mean when we're comparing teams you know there was a certain, there's a certain level of expectation for this type of team. And in 2016, the headlines were that they fell short. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was epic. It was huge. It was something that had never happened. They walked away from the 2016 Rio games without a medal. And uh, here they are in the Tokyo games. Uh, And again, they had set their sights on a gold, but they're walking away with a bronze medal, uh, from a tournament that was not easy for them. And they can look back and say, you know, we achieved something that we were unable to achieve in the real games. Okay. Sandra, you are finding the silver linings and I really appreciate that. I really do. And this game was better than anything we had seen throughout this Olympic tournament. And over the last six games, this was the United States best one. However, it's still not, the team that this team has traditionally been Um, against this against Australia. And in this matchup, they were passing sharper. They were playing a lot quicker one, two touches only on the ball and immediately getting the ball out from under their feet, finding their passes, whipping them in. It was cleaner play all over the pitch, especially on the defensive side and the high press from the forwards. That was the high energy and the high intensity showed more of the joy that we hadn't seen from this United States team throughout this Olympic stretch. And it's really hard to judge for me if this was a game, a good game for them, because honestly, it wasn't the best game from them that I've seen. But when you compare it to the way they've played previously over the last two weeks, yes, it was much better compared to Rio. When you look at the grand scheme of things, yes, they're leaving with a medal and a bronze medal. And although the competition across the world and internationally is getting better, which is tremendous for the league, the leagues and for the sport overall, that's huge. But the United States is still a very good team. There's so much talent in this country that they need to really be building on and continue to grow. And the fact that, They've been at the top for so long. Um, I I wasn't sure that they realized how close behind their opponents were right on their backs leading into this Olympic tournament. So we saw better things against Australia. We saw much better things, a cleaner game, a more concise game, a more high energy game from this United States team. But there is so much going forward that I'm sure we'll talk about because I want to hear Lori's thoughts on this. But things are different. the fan base cannot expect certain things anymore from this team and they can't expect themselves to just waltz out onto the field and do it, which I don't think they did that by any means heading into this, but it's still uh, a harsher look at this 
team and this game and this Olympic tournament. But yes, they are leaving with a medal, a bronze one, but hey, it's a medal. Let's uh let's let's stay on on this uh comparison for just a, a quick second because you know, I, for people who are coming into this Olympics for the first time because that happens in an international tournaments. International tournaments mm-hmm. generate a lot of buzz, a lot of interest, and a lot of people make their introduction into supporting certain teams uh, within big moments like this. So for people who are unfamiliar uh with when that 2016 elimination happened, it was it was huge. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely uh, dominating the headlines. And I will remind us and any anyone else who needs it. But I remember a lot of some of the conversation exiting that Olympics was similar to some of the things that we were seeing within this Olympics as it was still going on. I mean, I remember even in 2016 where people were telling Mega Rapino that she was old and didn't need to be there. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, and this is four years ago, you know what I mean? Uh, so there's still this narrative that's there. Uh, you know, they were telling Carly Lloyd the same thing. They were saying they were, you know, uh, Heather O'Reilly was named as an alternate, uh, for that roster, uh, in, in light of some of the conversations that were being had about that, about the team and wanting to maybe start a quote unquote turnover and like looking ahead to the 2019 uh, world cup and stuff like that. So here we are. And a lot of that conversation was happening, was ongoing during this tournament. It wasn't even, people weren't even waiting for this Olympics to be over. Quite Mm -hmm. frankly, it was happening right when they suffered that three zero loss uh, against Sweden in that opening Olympic uh, group match. So in terms of staying in this sort of uh time frame in these similar narratives. I mean, we're here in the Tokyo Games. Lori, is this still uh the same perspective that people should be having? Is it is it still is it normal? Is it does it make sense to maybe take a look at these last two Olympics, not just not just this one and then say mm-hmm yeah, there maybe needs to be some different looks as this tournament comes to a close and then a coaching staff looks ahead to the 2023 World Cup. Well, listen, I everyone is going to have, everyone's going to talk, right? The bigger this game gets, especially on the women's side, the more people are going to chime in, especially every four years and have their opinion. This person needs to go. And regardless if you have, if you played at this level or not, and you just think you have uh, the better perspective than anybody. No, it's fine. That's amazing. Right. Oh, you yeah. know. Okay, great. Yeah. Let's, let's listen to you. Yeah. Um, and obviously you, you being universally, um, not you two or anybody that we actually value their opinion, but, um, so, <laughs> but however, um, great. Yeah. You, that's what you want. And like, you know, what's, what's hilarious is that in 2016, then we saw what the, the team did in 2019, Megan in particular, um, becoming FIFA world player of the year from her basically carrying that team. So, you know, and people I think forget that Megan had come right off of an ACL injury in 2016, and then um, 
and then fast forwarding to here. Yes. I mean, listen, these conversations are always going to, if your team, if the team that you care about isn't playing or performing to the, the level that you feel like they are, then yes, you're going to start pointing fingers. I think what's important though, is this isn't just, yes, we can start naming off everyone's ages and we all know, right. We all know that. Yes. They're probably there. There needs to be some turnover. Listen, it's, it's like, the cycles are going to start to probably shrink more and more because the level of um, competition is becoming that much tighter and to play at this level for the amount of years that we've seen is, is more and more challenging because it's just athletically it is um, it's, it's going to become um, tighter and tighter, right? And the more games you see at the club level, it's just a more wear and tear on the bodies. However, I think it's important to remember that Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapinoe in particular, that a lot of fingers are being pointed out as like, Oh, older players, they didn't even start the game against um, Sweden, okay? So we're talking collectively as a unit, this has not <laughs> been the best tournament yeah. as a whole for the U.S., right? Players that we expected, Sam Uis and Lindsey Horan, right? Um, Crystal Dunn that we expected um, to have some, like, bigger impacts, right? Didn't. Now, listen, we could break that down, and I'm sure we will get into that even more, on why that is. We're not just going to say, hey, you didn't perform well. Um, I think tactically there's some things that are involved um, and why that didn't bring out the best attributes in, in players. Um, however, this isn't like, this is a smaller roster and we were shell shocked against yeah. the, the Sweden team. And quite honestly, clearly it was difficult for them to bounce back from that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I, it's an important point that you, that you make in bringing that up because I, it just, I don't think that that's, I'm not sure if that's discussed uh, enough. Actually, it's because it's just it's just true. I don't know what it is about the Olympics, um, but for some reason it is it just looks because uh, we're the ones watching it at this point, not playing in it. Uh, but it just looks, and I'm sure for the players, feels uh, like a much harder tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, than the World Cup. And we hear that a lot coming out of this. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's fewer teams that are able to compete. It's much more difficult to, to qualify for a tournament that has only 12 teams in it mm -hmm. um, going for three medals. Um, and then just the very quick turnaround in between games leading into knockout rounds with the same exact quick turnaround. Um, it's just a very, very hard competition uh, to compete in. Um, so that being said, I would like both of you to, to weigh in on this and Lisa, I'll have you go first in light of all that. Right. Cause I know this is the fun stuff where we talk about, we try to break down like what comes next and this and that. But I, I think we got to maybe take a moment to maybe try to find these, these bright spots for either of you, because we also hear about this coming out of tournaments about breakout players and players who have like big games and big, big moments, uh, who is it on this United States women's national team in this competition that we can maybe look at and point at and say, okay, you, you're having, you had a strong showing in this type of tournament or, or you, or you got next. Uh, who, who, who is that or who could that possibly be uh, for, for either of you? Lisa, I'll have you go first. Yeah, that's a really good question, Sandra. No wonder we put you in the seat to ask the questions. Dang. Well, listen, um, we're going to need you to answer this too, Sandra. So all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, okay. we're turning so this fair. around on you. <laughs> that's for sure. Fair. So uh, there were 
certain players that did stand out to me. I think Alyssa Nair had a very good tournament before her injury. Um, she did have a very good tournament. She kept this United States team in games more so than if someone else was in there. And that's not to say anything about AD French because she also had to, a big role to fill. But I think Alyssa Nair was a player that um, came into this tournament very prepared and very ready to put this team on her back and, and keep them in games, um, which she did. Another player that we actually didn't see against Australia, but I believe has a very bright future with this squad and this team from the glimpses that we saw was Lynn Williams. Um, when she came in and she could provide the pressure up top and the darting runs in behind, um, we talked about this a little bit. I believe it was just us three. I don't even think it was on air, but seeing her in that nine position, in that center striker forward position could be really big for this team moving forward. And that's a tactical adjustment. Um, Lori, that, that you touched on that maybe needs to change for this team and this squad. And that goes to show that the coaching staff can't just continue to play the same tactical formational play that they did under Jill Ellis. And maybe things do need to change. Um, and, and with a player like Carly Lloyd in there, no, you're not going to see Lynn Williams in that nine because that's Carly Lloyd's bread and butter. And she, she won't be as dangerous if she's out on the wings, but for Lynn Williams, when she got her moments, um, we saw it, a goal and an assist from her in, in the game that she played. But she's a player that I think could do a lot for the future of this team in, in her mindset and her energy and her effort that she brings on both sides of the ball. She needs to be a little bit more clinical in certain things. And now I'm just nitpicking here. But those are my two players, I think, that really stood out to me throughout this tournament and looking forward. Despite everything else that was happening, I'm, I'm really trying to find the diamonds in the roughs here in, in yeah. In a sense of it, um, Laurie, no, for it's you, a tough, it's a tough question that I ask. I understand, uh, but Laurie, is do you uh, echo similar <laughs> sentiments? Do you have anyone else that stood out for you? Yeah, for sure. I do have a couple. Um, you know, I think you're everyone's exact. We're all in agreement here that it is a little bit difficult to say, like, hey, here's a standout performance when there yeah. weren't that many, right, um, in this tournament. However, um, I think going back to what I said about Tierna Davidson, this is valuable minutes for her, right? And like, no, is she a young, young player? Absolutely not. And she's been on these rosters, right? But to get this amount of minutes to, um, to at this international level, I really believe she will be a starting center back for this team. And I would still like to see her in that number six role at some point in time as well. I've been saying that for um, what close to a year now and what that could look like as um, a different type of six than a Julie Ertz. Um, however, I'm not sure we're going to see that right now because she seems to be solidified in that center back spot. Um, so I think regardless of, you know, the mistake today, um, I feel like she is resilient and, um, is a bright future. Also, I don't think we can underestimate how important it is that these 22 players, the four were elevated to an actual 22 player roster because Katarina Macario, um, the experience that she would be getting outside of the few minutes that she played in terms of how players are handling the adversity in this tournament, um, the preparation between each matches, um, to be able to look to these older players, um, regardless of stepping on the field that much, will be invaluable because there's no doubt that she is a bright talent going forward and um, she will be needed in years to come. So, uh, I again, we didn't see her much on the field, yeah. but behind the scenes, I guarantee you she was soaking it up and the, there will be moments that will stick with her. 
Yeah, and yeah. there's so much to learn when you're not on the field, like a player like that, even watching in post-game media availability with these players and what they're saying and how they're responding to these games is, is so big for the the mental and the maturity side of the game for her. That's a really good point, Laurie. Yeah, well, turn, yeah, because Jordan Davidson was also one of those players that, you know, was made available, uh, you know, during some of the, the post or the pre-match uh, day uh, availabilities. And um, that's that's a huge, that's a tall task to be kind of, be asked to be one of the faces. Yeah, you know, totally. Such a tough, you know, tough losses. And uh, she handled it quite well. But I'm I'm in, I'm in agreement with, with both of you. I think on the offensive side, it's somebody like a Lynn Williams on the defensive side. It's somebody like Tierna Davidson, who I think people are going to be looking at coming out of this particular tournament. Um, and I don't think that should be overlooked uh, for Macario and, and this experience. I mean, while she didn't get minutes on uh, a ton of minutes out on the on the pitch so for us to be able to say like oh she's a she's someone we've got our eye on because of how she performed I mean the the jury's currently still out just because of the limited time but um getting these particular players in these moments is is huge I mean a, a huge part of getting this experience is so that when you're when you are looking ahead to sort of the next phase of this cycle you have got players who have been involved in what's was a real pressure cooker, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, which you know, we heard glimpses and, and bits and pieces about that throughout uh this tournament, the the pressure of that. I mean, it can't be overlooked that you know, this Olympics was an Olympics that is being played through an ongoing pandemic. Uh, we cannot uh negate that, we cannot ignore that. Um Many teams, players, uh, however you're looking at whichever side of the ball, lost a year um, and then all of a sudden accelerated themselves to try to, you know, be ready for mm-hmm. a tough tournament like this. So to have these young younger players in the mix with this team specifically, even without getting start or extended minutes, in my opinion, can only benefit the team uh, yeah. moving forward. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the meantime, you're looking at their performances and you're, you know, keeping tabs on what they're doing mm-hmm. when they are getting that significant play. And for somebody mm-hmm. like Macario, who's overseas at the moment, playing in France with Lyon, or somebody like Davidson, who's always getting regular starts in NWSL, or Lynn Williams, who's always getting regular starts in NWSL, we're seeing what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having these experiences uh, for them to sort of look back on and rely on will absolutely be helpful uh, d- down the stretch. Um, but in terms of outside of this this current roster, looking outside of it, this 22-player squad, and then really what's going to be another kind of quick turnaround because we got a world cup coming up in 2023. And uh, I think there's always this, this level of assumption that this is the time to kind of uh, do a turnaround on the squad or take a deeper dive and look into your pool of players. And I think that there's a real assumption there that that's going to happen uh, with this team. Uh, I myself am not a hundred percent sold on that. Uh, I'm not, uh, and again, I'm going to just lean back on all of the 
things that I already mentioned, uh, because this team's yeah, they're going to have to prepare for a World Cup that's going to take place in 2023, but it's in like 18-ish months, not really two years, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, again, they're still preparing for this, another major tournament in what's an ongoing pandemic. That's another huge factor as well. Those things come into play. Um, so I'm not too sure how much of a, how much different this squad could potentially look um they'll be bigger because you know obviously the world cup is going to have 23 players and who knows if if by the time 2023 comes around if any rules will change towards that maybe it'll be a little bit of a bigger squad who knows um but in the meantime what we do hear about is this constant competitive environment that takes place for the United States women's national team, that it is constantly a place where players are coming in to compete day in, day out, both be each other's own competition and each other's, uh, you know, support system really, and helping elevate each other's game. So as we're looking ahead a little bit, maybe let's take a look at the three different lines. Um, Who would you like to maybe see, get inside of some of these national team camps as the next 18 months sort of start playing themselves out. Who are you looking for on the defenders, on the midfielders, and on the forward line side of things for for head coach Flacco Andonovsky to get in there and really get in the mix? Lori, I'll have you go first. Yeah, I mean, I think you you do make a really good point is sometimes we think we're going to see these huge overhauls, right? And, and that's just not really the reality because – what happens is typically you just see some people like retire and or fall out of favor or whatever. And then some new players are folded in. Right. And so, yes, well, I think we'll see some players um, retire and some players be maybe um, kicking and screaming, going a little bit more than they um, off the team more than maybe they want to. Um, I don't think it'll be this massive overhaul. Right. Um, but, you know, one one particular player that comes into mind that I'll be curious to see. Um, and this goes to a little bit of a broader thought process for myself and how this team evolves tactically um, would be an Andy Sullivan, because Andy Sullivan was in major favor, gets injured, right? Tears her ACL um, a couple of years ago, and then is, is still really working her way back. And I, and I think what's interesting is watching her in the NWSL, um, we're still not seeing quite the best that I think that we can see out of um, Andy Sullivan and how that fits in and, and very much in line with like a Katarina Macario, how do their styles of play fit in with this U.S. women's national team, or do they not, right, going forward? Um, and and I'll, I'll just say this. Um, Andy Sullivan is one. I think we are going to see, like, a Sophia Smith. I was, I'd be curious about Alana Cook coming back into the mix, right, two players that were, like, the last cut from this team. Um, how they're folded in, what that looks like going forward. Um, and so th- those are a few players that come into mind. But it's more so – really for me less about who's coming in and how the team evolves because I think as we saw in and I'll make this quick but as we saw today against Australia yes tactically we had some flexibility when it came defensively like you know we fell back into the five back great mm-hmm. all of that right we, we saw against Australia at moments in the first game that they played in the last group play game where we did high press right so we have some flexibility on like what we're doing without the ball but really where I want this team to evolve is what it looks like with the ball because I don't think that's what we've seen right we, we were presented with some different challenges in this tournament of teams not sitting back 
Um, whereas like, yes, when teams sit back in the low block, we can pounce on them. We can press, we see how we thrive. We can force teams to make mistakes, um, cough up the ball. And then we're in advantageous positions to like score goals. Right. And we're not as, um, when teams are sitting back, we're not as, um, susceptible to being scored on because there's not a many numbers forward, right? So if the, if there's errant passes or um, unforced errors, we can get it right back, right? We have numbers around the ball. What happens when we've seen basically almost every single team outside of Canada when teams actually press us or not afraid to build out of the back, right? And they're in much more expansive shape, which forces us to be in a more expansive shape. And we can't keep the ball. We can't we can't get um, Carly Lloyd higher or excuse me Crystal Dunn higher up the field right we can't get her in the position where she wants to be Lindsay Horan doesn't have enough players around her Julia Ertz doesn't have enough players around her Sam Mewis doesn't have enough players around her we're all it's disorganized so who's going to be the one that can put the foot on the ball and we can keep possession and dictate tempo and force other teams to um, do things that we want to because we have the ball and we can slow the tempo down when needed, speed it up, right? Because right now, personally, I feel like this is my last point is we have like one tempo, which is fucking go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and we see that a lot in the NWSL and I'm not knocking that. It's just like really the the idea though is to go and what happens if that's not on or teams can match us and they can win the ball back and then we're again in expansive shape and can't get pressure, adequate pressure on the ball. And we can't win it back right away. So then once we do, we need to keep it. And those will be the nuances I feel like that have to evolve within our team because those are we're going to be presented with a lot of different looks now that teams um, can match us in different areas um, going forward. At the international. Those are all really valid points to bring up. And, of course, like I'm asking these these questions to you guys under the, uh, under the assumption that it's going to be, you know, Vlako Andonovsky for the remainder of the week. So I think we're all kind of collectively in agreement where it's like he's going to be given the opportunity. He's made the podium with this team in a bronze medal. He's going to get the chance to to lead them in a World Cup as well. So for you, Lisa, taking all that into consideration, maybe building off of what Lori added with some of the tactics coming into mind, who would you like to maybe see across any of the lines uh, in any upcoming future national team camps for this team. I agree that Andy Sullivan is a player that if she gets consistent minutes at this international level with this national team, that her game could develop a bit more, but you're right, Lori, she has a a certain tactic about her that may not fit with this squad. But I think that her, we've seen glimpses of Sullivan in the NWSL with the Washington spirit, where she's been really on and she's been the dominant force in a game that the player out of 22 that stands out in the match to be the one making the change and controlling the tempo of a game. So if she can get minutes with this national team squad, I think it would be good for her. And some other players that are standing out, Sophia Smith, she was right on the bubble of this one um, of this national team and she didn't make the cut and she went back to Portland Thorns and decided that she was going to go off a little bit and she's been scoring goals. So I think she could provide a good different look in the attack for the United States. And then I, I do think Alana Cook will see more minutes and see more opportunities with this team, just based on how much she already has done at the international level and with this national team. Um, and then based on the rotations we saw throughout this Olympics in the back line with the defenders, uh, we saw Abby Dalkemper in, in some games and then not. And she really, I think she lost a bit of her spot in this Olympics tournaments to a player like Tierna Davidson. 
So now uh, Blacko and Anofsky or whoever else is at the helm, but I think it will be Andonofsky, it has to look at a player like Alana Cook. Um, and we even had Casey Kruger, who was named to the 22 roster, um, who who made it onto the bench and, and for this Olympic that could see time. But I do think Alana Cook, Sophia Smith and, and Andy Sullivan are players that could be coming up the flanks. And I mean, there's another player, Emily Fox, who I really like from racing Louisville that I've been keeping an eye on. Um, but I don't, I don't know if she'll be there quite yet. Uh, as there are other players that have had more of a taste at the international yeah. level than she has. And, and Sandra, uh, Chicago Red Stars, Mal Pugh, she's been looking yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, she is. I mean, I, I think if I'm if I'm looking across the lines, uh, Mal Pugh is someone I actually want to see definitely get back uh, into the mix for these national team camps. Uh, you know, Mitch Purse, we talked a lot about her in our preview and, and as the roster was dropped and what she can provide. And uh, it would be nice to, I think, get her in there, maybe get her more as an attacking look versus splitting time kind of on the front line and, and the back line. So we'll see what Andonovsky has in the plans there. And, um, you know, defensively, I think there's always, there's always opportunities there. I think, yeah, Emily Fox is someone who needs to start getting some, some time in with these national team camps uh, to really kind of start getting more familiarized with this team and, and, and the systems that are coming uh, into place and center back depth is always a good thing to have. So I would, I would love to see somebody like uh, a Katie Naughton uh, called into to some of these camps and to to get a look at. And uh, to be quite frank, I'd love to see Morgan Gutra back in these national team camps. I think she's been having an MVP type of season uh, for the Red Stars in the midfield. And I think uh, we saw a lot of trouble in the midfield during these Olympics. And uh, a lot of things have been uh, looked at in terms of uh, experience and uh, veteran leadership within those roles. And this is a player who uh, is still probably considered in the the peak of her career. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think probably could have made a difference in the midfield for these Mm -hmm. Olympics. So I think if you're looking ahead to the World Cup, I think you're inviting her back into these national team camps to get another look at the midfielders in the mix in this one. One more player I want to call out just because as we're doing this, we've already gone long, so why not? Christy Mewis, she didn't get a lot of minutes. She was at this Olympic Games, though, and I think uh, giving her more time and more consistency would provide a really good look for this team. Yeah, I think I think with a bigger roster um, at their disposal for the World Cup, I think, uh, you know, shoot for the stars, right? <laughs> get, get as many get as many looks as you can. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's what we're going to have to to close out with. United States, they made the podium. They brought it in this bronze medal match. They're coming home with a medal. They have already improved on that 2016 to put it behind it. People can put that to bed and say, hey. They're getting back to get medals at the Olympic Games. And now it's going to be on to the next phase. I mean, this is not a team that's unfamiliar with look like jumping right ahead into the next challenge. So I will not be uh, surprised once sort of this uh, NWSL season and sort of post-Olympic international friendly sort of kind of come to a close what the next phase of some of these camps start looking like. So I just want to thank everyone uh, for joining us during these Olympics. There is still a gold medal match to be played with Canada and Sweden. That has very recently been postponed, so that will now be kicking off at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on August the 6th. It will not be playing uh, at night on August 5th. It was all very, very quickly, the news dropping as we were actually recording this. So if you're still looking forward to a gold medal match and uh, have 
been in a sleep pattern where you're waking up very early, you get one more to take a look at. So uh, find out who's going to end up with that gold and silver medal if you get a chance. Um, this is going to conclude our Olympic coverage for uh, for everyone on Attacking Third. Uh, but we're going to still be around giving everybody great coverage of NWSL and other amazing women's soccer happening uh, stateside and otherwise. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone else, thank you so much for joining us and listening to us. A quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to your shows. We're also available as video, so please subscribe to us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Attacking Third, and we will be back on Monday with another episode to recap NWSL action for Sandra Herrera, Lisa Roman, and Lori Lindsay, this was Attacking Third. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.